Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. of wrestling brought to you today and powered by meow box meow box is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month and please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you by meow box and we can't forget meowbox.com and with that being said my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner primetime john pause and john today we have a power-packed, jam-packed edition of the two-man power trip of wrestling featuring not only one but two guests. And both are recorded at the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe, New Jersey a couple of weeks back. First out of the gate, we're going to have the legendary godfather of professional wrestling journalism. And that is Bill After talking about his brand new book, Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. And then we're going to be joined by ECW original and member of the BWO, the blue guy himself, the blue meanie. But John, before we get into the blue meanie, we're going to start with Bill After. And actually, blue meanie and Bill After have a little bit of a history together, which uh, was fantastic to learn about that day. But why don't we talk about Bill After and what exactly he brings to professional wrestling? Because not only is he quite possibly the friendliest person that I've ever dealt with in the pro wrestling world, but he's just so classy and he has such a welcoming disposition that it's an absolute joy to speak with him. And this isn't the first time that we had been talking to him. We were talking about doing something with him months and months and months ago, but it didn't work out. But now it worked out that the book is out and we got to watch the magic happen live at the Legends of the Ring convention and see Bill Apter really just conversate with people and interact. But that's enough about what I got to say about it, John. What do you think about Bill Apter and his mark that he's made on professional wrestling? Because he is just such a good guy. Well, Chad, back again with another great episode. And this time we traveled all the way to the Legends of the Ring, like you said, in uh, Monroe, New Jersey. And it was a really fun day that day. I had a real fun time. And, you know, one of the main reasons we went there, obviously, is, you know, we talked to Bill after beforehand. He said, you know what, uh, 
because he's so friendly and he's you know he's such a classy guy and he's so welcoming that he's just you know we we made the connection with him and uh he said you know come over to legends of the ring and uh, we'll have a long discussion we'll have a long chat there we'll hang out a little bit and uh you know we'll get a little bit of an interview done so it was really cool to uh, go to legends of the ring and be able to uh, hang out with bill after that day i mean what a nice guy what a classy guy and you hear in the interview what he does for you know you know a lot of uh, younger younger adults and getting them jobs and placing them certain places. So you'll hear about all the great stuff that he does outside of the wrestling business, just to show you what a great guy he is, and what a great person he is. But you know, obviously we're going there to interview him, and we're we're very interested in you know his history uh, that he you know has, he's been involved with in the wrestling business it's such a deep rooted history that he's been involved i mean he's kind of like the uh the grandfather you know to the wrestling media if you will i mean he's the forefather i guess you could say of of the wrestling media i mean he's been there through it all he's been covering the wrestling business forever and you hear so many of the uh, the old timer wrestlers that we've had on our show and say you know what if it wasn't for bill apter you know maybe a lot of the stuff that we've done you know did back then wouldn't have been captured today so i mean bill after much bigger impression on the business than anyone would ever really imagine but when you think about it man he means so much to the business and he's meant so much to the business and he still means so much to the business with one wrestling.com so he's just you know it's just amazing and it's funny the correlation that we have with him because you know he interviews a lot of wrestlers that's what we aspire to be so in in a, in a way in in you know somewhat in relation to us if you want to you know, tie us into a Bill Apter. It's the fact that, you know, we want to be Bill Apter in, in, in a certain sense, in a certain way, and, you know, in our own way in the uh, podcast world and the, the wrestling radio world. So, I mean, we aspire to be Bill Apter, and if we, you know, reach even uh, a tenth of what he has done in, the, in this business, we will be happy at the end of the day. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, very true. And I like to actually, I would refer to him a couple times during the interview as the Godfather of wrestling journalism, of the wrestling media, because he really is a name that's just completely associated with the fact that wrestling was brought into the journalistic side of entertainment and in media. And there are others, and not to not give them the credit, but Bill Apter is definitely at the forefront and uh, pretty much in the front of everybody's mind when it comes to adapting wrestling journalism as a uh, very meaningful way to get the word out there about pro wrestling. But why don't we talk about the book? And of course, it's Is Wrestling Fixed? I Didn't Know It Was Broken by Bill After. It's a fantastic book by ECW Press. Uh, talk about the book. Talk about how, you know, Bill After is such a classy guy, as you said, he, but this is not a dirt book. This is not a book that you're going to be looking for, uh, this guy was a this, or this guy was a that. This is a book that's going to tell you a story about how somebody made it in the wrestling business on his own terms, doing what he wanted to do, through all the great experiences that he had, and talk about the book as you prepare to read it, and you prepare to get into his story, you know, something that you feel, um, be, not being a dirt book, really separates Bill Apter from a lot of other wrestling books that have been published. Yes, of course, you know, why we wanted to talk to Bill Apter, not only because he's a legend and he had all this other stuff, but we wanted to talk to him about his book. And he just came out with a book from ECW Press. Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. Great, great book and a great read. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, yeah, I bought the book and got an autograph from Bill, so that was great. And got to take a nice picture with him. You know, so that's all, you know, fine and dandy. That's the, uh, the inner market me, if you will. Because you know I've been a fan of his for a while, and and obviously I followed his his, his pro, uh, PWI for a while, and and 
everything else that he's done, I've been following and, and trying to, you know, follow in his footsteps any way I can a little bit because I really love, you know, people that cover the wrestling business, that love the wrestling business, that are fans of the wrestling business. And he's basically a wrestling historian. And uh, as we were told in a past episode from the late great American dream, Dusty Rose, you know, we're sort of uh, wrestling historians as well. So if I uh, can be lumped in anything as far as uh, being a wrestling historian or being lumped in with Bill Apter, I mean, boy, whew, what a compliment. And, uh, and we'll definitely take that. And speaking, you know, about the book is Wrestling Fix. It's just a great, great read. If you really look at it and, you, you know, even just looking at the cover, you're like, oh, my God. I mean, the history here, it goes, dates back all the way, you know, past Bruno. And it goes all the way to Triple H being basically in charge of the WWE today. So it's just fantastic. And it's funny, his journey that you'll hear about, about how, you know, he wasn't allowed, you know, basically wasn't supposed to be backstage back then in WWE and and you know and Vince was a little bit uh, stringent and a little bit uh, tough on him and now he's considered like he should be wrestling royalty with Triple H and the guys in charge today I mean the book is just a fantastic read you got great stories of course the must read about Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler and that feud and how Bill played such a big part in that a little bit of you know some Hulk Hogan stuff in there as well which is always great you got a lot of Triple H stuff which is cool you know, of course, Vince McMahon, like I mentioned, Bruno San Martino, which is some great stuff. Even some Muhammad Ali stuff. So, I mean, you got to check out the book. It's by ECW Press. It's wrestling fixed. I didn't know it was broken. It's a must read. You must get it. And I believe it's a pretty hot item right now. And I know a ton of guys uh, were interested as far as wrestlers were concerned. They were even interested in reading it. And then, of course, the fans at the Legend of the Ring Fan Fest. Seem to be a hot seller amongst them as well, and don't forget to check out some awesome pictures in that book as well. So, I can't, you know, stress it enough. Get the book; you will not be sorry. Just a great read, and the best thing about it is that Bill Apter is not a dirt sheet guy. I mean, you're not going to get rumors and speculation here. This is real deal, real stories, real stuff that happened. No rumors, no innuendo. This is, you know, real true blue 100% wrestling stories without any any BS so again you gotta get Bill Apter's book is wrestling fixed I didn't know it was broken by ECW Press you will not be sorry yes indeed and with that being said why don't we get it on over to Bill Apter our wonderful conversation and our wonderful couple of minutes that we spent talking with the legend himself please go out and check out the book but that's enough about it from us why don't we hear it from the legendary, the man himself, Bill Apter, and then come on back for a little bit with the blue guy, the blue meanie. So here you go, Mr. Apter, it's on to you. So joining us here today, live at the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe, New Jersey, is the legendary Bill Apter, the well, godfather. The godfather of wrestling journalism. Da-da, you want to talk to the godfather? <laughs> you going to kiss my hand? See, I, I feel like I can ask you this for the last time. You can. And this is... When are you going to write a book? Oh, wait, here it is. Is wrestling fixed? You, uh, well, what's the answer? Well, when are you going to write the book? No, no. What, what's the answer to the, the question? The book is, is wrestling fixed? I didn't know it was broken. That's correct. Because, by Bill Apter. I'm sure that's been asked to you a million times. When are you going to write the book? Tell us why now, and is wrestling fixed? Well, first of all, I didn't know it was broken. Secondly, in 2004, when a lot of things were... Uh, by the way, now we're three guys so we can open up a chain. 
Yes. Or is that Five Guys? No, five, it's five Guys. guys right. <laughs> well, our burgers can be thinner. They, they can be more like White Castle burgers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so back in 2004, when a lot of things were going wrong for me professionally, WoW Magazine, Total Wrestling Magazine, none of these things were, uh, were around anymore. Uh, it was a... Uh, uh, I got a call from Michael Holmes from ECW Press in Toronto, and he said, we know you're probably having a bad day. Maybe this will cheer you up. We'd like to sign you to a contract to write a book. That was 2004. Wow. Wow. For years, my wife kept saying, when are you going to start the book? Two years ago, Michael Holmes called said, if we don't have it by September 2015, the deal is off. <laughs> so I started writing the book um, two years ago, actually. And uh, here it is. It's come to fruition. And uh, it's the memoir, the story of... Uh, my life from my infancy in the pro wrestling business of watching it and becoming a fan to wanting to be in it and how I broke in, what put the key in the ignition. And that when people say to me today, boy, it's, you had a great career, so you're probably retired. I said, hell no. I said, I'm even on the WWE Network now. I said, I'm, I'm doing more now than I actually did in my most active days at Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Yeah. What's it like being on the WWE Network and finally almost getting the recognition, the notoriety that you've, because obviously you've been in the business for a long time. 50 years. So what's it like being on the WWE Network and, you know, being the talking head and, you know, being on all these other things? What's it been like? You're the only other guy beside me that says the talking head. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Um, When they called me and asked me to come down to be on one of their documentaries as a talking head, I was like, I made it. Because all the years that the magazines were um, not allowed in by the WWE because they had their own product, I never thought a door would open for me to be on their TV. My goal in my life was to be on the WWE broadcasts, anything. I wanted to be the, the, the Gene Okerlund type. I always wanted that role, but I was always not on their radar for that. So now that it's happened... Uh, it's the highest compliment to me uh, that they've called me and asked me to do this. And it's in the book. Uh, in 2014, they actually flew me down to Florida and had me do a pilot show, uh, something that was uh, uh, kind of a, a mimicking the actor's studio. I did one with, uh, with Dusty Rhodes, one with Terry Taylor, and one with... Uh, uh, Larry Zabisco, now I have to do my Bruno, that cutthroat, that Judas, Larry Zabisco. Um, so yeah, it was such a high. And they call, I just recently uh, was back in Connecticut. They pick me up in a limo and they bring me there and they take really, really good care of me. And I was just there to do something on uh, uh, Bruno Sammartino and some of the other legends. Nice, very nice. Couldn't be better. But no stranger to pro wrestling television because of my first memory of Bill After, and that was on Pro Wrestling This Week. Oh, my, the Joe Pettacino show. Boy, did I love doing that, that show. That was the best show to get your news from. Wait, this might be Vince McMahon. Oh, let's see. So. Hold on a minute. Vince, I'm sorry I'm doing an interview with uh, two guys. No, can't. Sorry. Thank you. Okay. So back to Pro Wrestling this week. It was the first show that really encompassed on television every single promotion. But PWI played such a big part in it. We did. Because you gave your rankings, you gave news, you gave hot topics. 
really the forerunner to a lot of the, like I said at the beginning, the Godfather of wrestling journalism, the podcast, the web shows, everything that you see now, pro wrestling this week was then. Absolutely. And one of the things that I wanted to mention, by the way, when you're talking about innovative, like pro wrestling this week, is that OneWrestling.com, we were the first people to put video interviews on the Internet. First people. Pro wrestling this week. The best memories of my life. Also, one one day, and Craig Peters, who is one of the editors of uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, will be here soon. Uh, Joe Pettacino had us do a live remote at Hooters in Atlanta one time, and that was a hoot. Um, but yeah, it was it was a magazine. It was a TV show magazine, and it was incredible. I, I miss it, and it's too bad. I wanted to put that together with the Indies, uh, doing it down at After's Alley and do an independent version of that on YouTube. But the time to put it together and calling all these promotions and trying to get the material and all that. So, well, maybe the three of us can put that together. You never know. Yeah. yeah. Now, one thing that you almost did. I said two guys, by the way, the Vince. I meant uh, oh, yeah, two three men. men. Yeah. Yes. Um, almost one thing you didn't get notoriety for, and we actually interviewed Bob Zamuda, and we basically brought your name up to make sure you got mention of it. It was basically, you know, 1980s in Memphis. You brought Andy Kaufman, yes. the legend, yes. to, you know, into Memphis. Tell us what that was like. Cause it's almost forgotten that you were the pro I was the guy. Here. I was the guy who put them, who put them together. I was the guy who introduced Andy Kaufman to Jerry Lawler. Andy Kaufman used to come backstage to Madison Square Garden, and he wanted to wrestle. And Vince McMahon Sr. wouldn't have any part of it, neither would the State Athletic Commission. So Andy knew me from the wrestling magazines. And he asked me one day, he said, what are you doing after the matches? I said, I'm going home. He said, where do you live? I said, Queens. How do you get home? I take the E-train. So he said, can I go with you? I said, really? He said, yeah, so here I am with Andy Kaufman, the star of Taxi, riding on the E-train to Queens. And I brought him up to my apartment where I was living with Susan Sexton, a, uh, an Australian girl wrestler. And she says, Andy Effen Kaufman, what's he doing here? So he was complaining and moaning about all this stuff that Vince wouldn't let him wrestle. And he wanted to be Fred Blassie or Buddy Rogers. And I said to him, listen, I have a friend in Memphis. This is all in the book, by the way. I said, um, I have a friend in Memphis by the name of Jerry Lawler, and they're very progressive down there, and let's call him. He says, well, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. He said, "There's, we call him this late? So I said, he's probably just getting in. He's wrestlers. We stay up all night. So I called Jerry Lawler. He says, you got Andy Kaufman, the guy from Taxi, in your little roach-infested apartment in Queens? And I said, yeah, and I put them on the phone together, and that's what put the key in the ignition. That's what started it all. Wow. Yeah. And it wouldn't be the only one because I know there's a lot of claims to fame on who actually got Hulk Hogan into the Rocky movie. Well, I didn't, you, you know, I'm, I, Hulk Hogan got in on his own merit. However, Stallone's office called me and asked for suggestions, and I suggested two guys. One was superstar Billy Graham, and the other was this new kid, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, so I helped the process go along but Hogan got that a lot of people have told me on a podcast that uh, Hogan was upset that I had said somewhere that I got him the part in Rocky 3 and that's not true he got it on his own merits I just helped open the door so you jumped onto the largest back in the world I did brother because what he wanted to know man was all the maniacs were coming at him you understand that and he wanted to know what's Sly Stallone going to do when he runs all over you man but, no, I, I was just one of the instruments uh, uh, that helped him 
on on that road. You know, and you saw basically everybody to come through the Madison Square Garden era, where the house shows. And everybody. Everybody come through, but when Hulk Hogan came through and Hulkamania really launched, was that unlike anything else, or was Bruno's reign still, in your eyes, like much higher than where the Hulkamania is? It changed. Well, the business changed, and unless you change with the business, you get lost. So the Bruno era was still in my mind, but now, the Hogan era the sports entertainment era was taking hold. So I could have kept my mind and my body in the Bruno era, and I never would have gotten as far as I have in my business, but I changed with the times. I don't hate what it is today at all. It, the window dressing is totally different, but what they do in the ring is still there. I was, uh, you know, was going to ask, what was your most successful time? Was it the Hogan-Piper era? Was it the Hogan-Macho Man era? Or was it the Austin era with the Attitude It era? was the Jim Crockett era. Oh, okay. It was the era of the Road Warriors, Magalam T.A., Nikita Koloff, Ric Flair. To me, uh, Jim Crockett had put me on TV every week. He'd give me a 15-minute a segment called uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrate, Illustrated Scouting Reports. And uh, I was on TV every week. So beside pro wrestling this week, that gave me face time. And here, even though I wasn't uh, the dream job as a WWF broadcaster, I was walking down Midtown Manhattan, and there were people who recognized me from being on the Superstation on Ted Turner's network when Jim Crockett had that. Yeah, so it was fabulous, fabulous. And today, you know, I still love what I'm doing. I still, every day, I'm still passionate about this business and OneWrestling.com. Yeah. Definitely. So to, you give the mic. So basically, so actually, this it's a great question here. What do you think about kayfabe being gone? Now, when you first got in, did you ever see kayfabe ever going away? No, never saw it going away, number one. Number two, because it was very well protected. If you broke kayfabe, you had your legs broken, period, the end. Public company now, you can't break legs, break arms. No, yeah. but no matter what, we say that kayfabe is dead, it's not true. Because when you go to a wrestling show and you see the kids and the teenagers and some of the adults too watching that and then they go to work the next day and they're talking about what they saw or, I'm gonna give you a perfect example. A deer hit my car several months ago. I didn't hit the deer, the deer hit my car. I had to go to a body <laughs> shop I, I, had to go, I had to go to a body shop to get the car repaired. I went in on a Tuesday morning. Three of the mechanics, who didn't know who I was, are in the mechanic area, and they're probably 25 to 40 years old. And what are they doing? What happened on Raw last night? And they're talking about it like they were following the New York Knicks or the Philadelphia Eagles. It was, they were told they suspended belief and they were fans so kayfabe is not totally dead it's out there that you know this is what it really is but a lot of people don't want to pay attention to that they really don't and i'm one of them i still i still will watch on a monday night and go like that was good that that you know yeah yeah so kayfabe is not dead that's a rumor and the word kayfabe by the way is used in the wrong way these days Kayfabe was when I went into a dressing room and people didn't know me back in the 70s, the guys would say to each other, Kayfabe, somebody here. That means the person didn't belong. You know, watch what you say. Be careful who you talk with, etc. That's what Kayfabe meant. Today it has a totally different connotation. 
totally different. Today it's used for everything. Hey, Bill, did you write kayfabe stories? What does that mean? You know, yeah, yeah. And one thing I was int uh, very interested in asking you because you just had a recently, you know, they say controversial, but not really controversial. You're just saying your opinion on it was the Chris Benoit, the murders and stuff. What was yeah. your real opinion on what happened that night? Well, my theory is I mentioned on the Chris on the Chris Jericho talk is Jericho, which by the way is an incredible uh, podcast. My theory, and again, it's only a theory here, was that I understand that husbands and wives sometimes kill each other. It happens. But the little boy did not fit in that picture. I don't think he ever would have harmed that boy. He and his son were, he had his son sitting on his lap and they were on uh, AOL Instant Messenger with me just a few weeks before that happened. He adored his son. I think he got into some sort of trouble and I don't know this for a fact. When he got home, I think his wife and his son were already dead. And if somebody wants to make a hit look like a professional situation where you did it, let's say, they can make it look that way. And I think he walked into something. I think he was murdered wow. as well. It's my theory. There you go. I know we're going to wrap this up right here. And the book is his wrestling fixed. I didn't know it was broken. I didn't know it was broken either by ECW Press, the legendary Bill After. Now, we just got to witness what you've been doing now these days. But please tell the fans, tell the listeners of Two Man Power Wrestling what it is you're doing. We just met Brett, one of your, uh, yes, one of your kids yeah, over one, here. But please yeah, tell us about yeah, what you well, do these days. Beside OneWrestling.com, I work for a uh, nonprofit called Ahead, A-H-E-D-D.org. And the mission of the company is to... Uh, help find competitive employment for persons with various degrees of disabilities. And it's a passion. I've been there nine years, and I get up every morning totally, totally passionately waiting to do that. And the sometimes a lot of my participants are wrestling fans. So it meshes at our annual meeting two years ago. We had Jimmy Cicero and his wife. They have two autistic children at our annual meeting. And I sat there, and I watched the 100 employees seeing me do what I do in wrestling but doing it on on ahead time so and it was wonderful yeah very rewarding I love it last year I placed 22 people in great job not you have a disability you go to McDonald's no it's data entry it's a doctor's assistant so you can work it's not about disability it's about ability Love it. Yeah. And just one more time, where can we get your great book? You can be uh, Amazon.com, of course, and any major bookseller. It'll be out on October 13th. And be on a book tour uh, uh, here, of course, Legends of the Ring, uh, Allentown tomorrow. Allentown tomorrow uh, at Bud Carson's uh, Pro Wrestling World. Brighton, England, November uh, 7th and 8th. Wrestlecade. Uh, in November, so lots going on, and possibly next week at the uh, New Jersey Independent uh, Fan Fest. Awesome. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Thank you for making me one of the uh, one of the guys here. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank, thank you very you. much. Really and appreciate it. Sir. You know, I'll see you at the matches. Amazing chat 
with Bill Apter. I mean, truth be told, I've listened to it about a dozen times before this episode got put together and uh, published because it's just it's so fun to listen to. He's such a funny guy, such a nice guy, and we wish nothing but the best for Bill Apter. We would love to have him back to talk even more in depth about not just the book, but just some of the things that he's done in his career because that's a whole other book in itself, and that is the stories of Bill Apter's time interacting with not only fans but just you know other people inside the business and please check out is wrestling fixed i didn't know it was broken neither did i as that was a great joke that uh i had to keep on throwing out there with bill after but let's talk about the blue meanie a guy who when you think about the blue meanie character you you kind of shake your head and say wow he has taken a gimmick like the blue meanie and he has made it last for over 20 years and you're looking back at something like the bwo that Yes, a parody of the NWO, but as long lasting as the NWO was, and that's over, you know, approaching its 20 year anniversary, the Blue Meanie's been the Blue Meanie for over 20 years now, and he's still going. And what's the longevity of a character like the Blue Meanie, and how a guy like Brian Heffern, who is now running the Monster Factory down in South Jersey, how is he actually being able to pull off being the Blue Meanie? Nearly 20 years later, because ECW original, some of those guys, you know, you, you see how they are post-career, and it looks like the Blue Meanie's doing really well for himself, and we're, we're so happy to talk to him. But please, tell me what you think about the Blue Meanie's character is this far down the road uh, into playing a blue guy. Yeah, another guy who we were able to talk to at the uh, Legend of the Ring Fan Fest over there in Monroe was a guy who was in the same room that day as Belapter, and that was Blue Meanie. And the history between Blue Meanie and Belapter, obviously, uh, if you read Belapter's book, you'll know it, and you listen to you know a little bit of uh, what's being said with our interviews, you'll know that there is a big history there, and and a reason that they these two were you know put in that quote unquote room together. Uh, there's there's the history there between them and basically you know bill after helping blue mini get into the business i mean it's it's more in depth than that and and um, you got to read the book and you, you got to uh, follow the blue mini if you want to uh, learn more about that but their history is is rich and it is quite interesting i mean when you really really think about it what an interesting history that those two have together and it's funny to see what blue mini you know did become and has become because obviously so many people remember him in ECW, in the BWO. I mean, the BWO obviously was a you know parody of the NWO, but it was very popular, and you, we talked to Meanie about it. It's funny because you think, like he says, you think it was going to last one night or one show, and boom, it's 20 years later, basically almost 20 years, and we're still talking about the BWO, and he, you know, he's still wearing the BWO shirt. He, they're still selling BWO shirts, so the BWO is still popular, and it's still over, and it's really funny that, you know, the longevity of Blue Meanie, I mean, he seems to be one of those guys that you didn't think would survive post-ECW, but boy, he's surviving and he's flourishing. I mean, he's doing a great job. He's down there at the Monster Factory training guys, and in us getting to talk to him, it's like, man, you couldn't have a more perfect guy. He understands the business. He gets the business so smart. You know, he's just so well-spoken, so profound. And, I mean, that's what you really want on a trainer, not just, uh, you know, somebody's going to be, you know, strict military style and, uh, you know, trying to get you to quit or anything like that. I mean, Meany's just he's just a great guy to have as, you know, as a leader, a trainer, a mentor, if you will. It was just so great to talk to him, and you know, like I said, the longevity of the BW, the longevity of uh, Blue Meanie, is just great. And even and, you know, getting to talk to him, we even get a great uh, WWF story with Blue Dust. 
You know, and interestingly enough, a couple of people that I had talked to after we recorded the Bill After Blue Meanie episode uh, asked, you know, well, did you talk about the JBL incident with the Blue Meanie? And you know what? Quite frankly, we didn't bring it up directly to him because, you know, sometimes you don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get. And obviously that was a very heated incident between the two of them. But Meanie is the one who brought up JBL's name a couple of times. And it really uh, it raised my eyebrow. And uh, looking back on the incident, and you know, seemingly both moving past it, uh, we know the Blue Mini actually pinned JBL on a SmackDown uh, following the ECW One Night Stand, where the uh, the whew, the incident took place, where uh, JBL just gave a haymaker right to the Blue Mini and busted him wide open. Um, but since he mentioned JBL to us, you know, we we had to kind of realize uh, it, we maybe we should have brought it up. But he does a great job of uh, kind of putting that to bed just by saying how friendly they are these days. And, um, you know, they seem to have both really moved past it now. Yeah, a lot of people know. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people that are into the dirt sheets or, you know, into a lot of the backstage stuff. There was an incident, obviously, you know, 10 years ago or so uh, with JBL and Blue Mini backstage and um well, not even backstage. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, some of it, you know, was uh, in the forefront there um, at the ECW pay-per-view and stuff. But anyway, I digress. There was an incident between JPL and Blue Meanie. And it's funny you would think that Meanie would be bitter and he would hate JBL and that there would be no talking to each other or anything like that. But not the case at all. Meanie is, you know, such a mature, smart, well-spoken guy. He understands the business. I mean, some of the stuff he told us, I, you know, he, I equate to uh, you know my life outside of what we do here and 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 some interesting um, feedback he gave us or some interesting advice that he gave us and then I really really took took some of it to heart and I thought man he's so smart and and he really you know hit the nail on the head on a couple things but if you really think about it wouldn't a lot of guys be bitter about it and say you know they hate JBL and they're done with him no not Meany Meany you know he like he mentions to us he was backstage he saw JBL they talked and boom Meany's doing um the ECW DVDs and Meany's on the WWE Network and so on and so forth so I mean that just shows you the smarts of Meany and and how he's been able to stay around so long and there's you you, know, you don't need to be bitter you, you, you know, you don't need to um, try to get revenge on anybody or anything for an incident that happened. So it's great to hear that he is very friendly with JBL because he mentions him a couple times uh, in talking to us. And it was just great to be able to talk to, you know, to Meany about a myriad of topics, including the Monster Factory. So if you're an aspiring wrestler, I would check out the Monster Factory for sure and head on down to, I believe it's Paulboro, New Jersey, and uh, get some training in. I believe they, they even have some... Um, some fan appreciation, some uh, some free trainings going on. So please seek out the Monster Factory and please seek out the Blue Mini anywhere you can. Because if you have a conversation like we did, even if it's you know way shorter than the conversation we had with him, you will be enthralled and you will love him and you will think, man, this guy is just as cool as he was when he was in the BWO 20 years ago. Now, we want to thank both the Blue Meanie and Bill After for coming on today. And we want to thank you for pressing the download button and listening to what we have to say. Uh, and want to hear something else we have to say, and that is I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Meowbox. When you head on over to Meowbox.com and you enter the code POWERTRIP10 into the checkout box, you're going to get 10% off your first monthly box subscription. That's POWERTRIP10 in all capital letters into the checkout box. And you're going to get 10% off. You're not going to 
regret it in any way, shape, or form. Meow Box is a great company, but John's going to tell you a little bit more about that and then head on down the road for a little two-man power trip of wrestling business. That's right, chatty boy. It's Meowbox time. Meowbox has a service called One Box Can, where every Meowbox purchased, a can of food will be donated to a shelter cat on your behalf, which is just amazing. Also, remember, all the edible items from Meowbox are made in the USA or Canada. Now, my picky cat Lucy, who is sitting right next to me right now, purring like a good little girl, she has a very picky diet. And she doesn't, uh, you know, she can't really have edible items because she's on a specific diet. So what we do with Meowbox is we trade the edible items for toys and surprises. And she absolutely loves that. So that is awesome about Meowbox. So just remember, that's Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10. Now, for some TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at WrestlingPal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We, we would love to hear your feedback. Also, when you're on iTunes, check out the feed with prior episodes of the late, great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Tully Blanchard, Stan Hansen. And so, so, so many others. Check out the feed. You will not be sorry. You will love it. Also, check out the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com for all the latest and greatest from us. And also, don't forget, we will be putting it up soon. Check out a way that you can buy the Del Wilkes, the Man Behind the Mask DVD documentary that we were the executive producers on. You will hear more about that in upcoming episodes, but look out for that on the website because you will be able to buy it on our website as well as Dell's, so please just keep an eye out for that. Also, check us out on the I-95 Sports Network. We are live in color every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern with best of episodes. You will not be sorry, and you will absolutely love the i-95 sports network so check them out use the google machine if necessary also if you'd like to book kevin thorne formerly known as mordecai aka kevin fertig please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com that is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com and that is if you're looking to book kevin thorne aka mordecai aka kevin fertig and now, without any further ado, we send it along to the blue guy, a man that is synonymous with the BWO, a man who is one of the head trainers over at the Monster Factory in New Jersey. He is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the most profound guys you will find in the wrestling business. He is the one, he is the only, the blue meanie. Please enjoy. We are here at Legend of the Ring in Monroe, New Jersey, with the legendary BWO member, the Blue Meanie. How are you doing today, Blue Meanie? You're, you're too kind with the legendary tag, but uh, yeah, I'm here. So, hey, pleasure to meet you. How you doing? Now, going back into the days of the ECW and you're forming the BWO, obviously with Nova and uh, Stevie Richards, what was it like? You know, getting the you know the BWO, so, somewhat of a you know mock of the NWO, but what was it like when the first BWO first started? Because you guys were so over. I mean, that, that whole thing was supposed to be like a one-night deal. I mean, most we had done a bunch of parodies up at that point, and 
this is just going to be another parody. And uh, Todd and Paul heard the crowd reaction. And I think they saw dollar signs when they realized they could make T-shirts. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just uh, the crowd took to it. I mean, the ECW crowd, uh, it's kind of like, you know, when they say uh, a night at the Apollo. You know, when you go out there and the crowd can make you or they could kill you. You know, if you're over, you're over. If they don't like you. You'll know in about five seconds. So I was very fortunate that that, uh, that crowd, that rabid ECW crowd took to us. And I think that's because we weren't trying to be like everybody else in the card. Uh, Stevie was uber talented. You know, Nova's uber talented. And, you know, I did, you know, the, the comedy stuff. And uh, I think we all brought a different element to the show. Everybody's like, and we were a little bit lighthearted. You know, when you book a show, you want to have ebbs and flows and everything. If you have nine of the same matches, everybody can leave after the first match. So, you know, you'll bring me, Stevie, and Nova out. We're going to have a little bit of fun. So I think the fans took to that and saw that we were genuinely having fun, you know, because, you know, my two loves growing up were, you know, wrestling and comedy. You know, I loved Ricky Steamboat and I loved George Carlin, you know. A lot of my facial mannerisms was, you know, just a inspiration from George Carlin when he would you know, overly sell, you know, a face, you know, but, um, yeah, it, it was phenomenal. I mean, it, it's coming up on the 20 year anniversary. Wow. Oh me and Nova and Steve were talking about that, uh, at Jakara a couple, uh, about a month ago. And we're like, can you believe this? It, it, it was insane. Uh, you know, when I went to Russell JBL on uh, SmackDown in 05, we're sitting in JBL's limo about to come out and the face is limo and Nova just, you know, quips. He's like, can you believe it's like 13 years later and that BWO's still around and the NWO's not? And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like a little funny thing in between the three of us, but yeah, I kind of have a point, you know? So uh, I'm sitting here at Legends of the Ring and you kind fellows are asking me about the BWO all these years later. The fans here are talking about the BWO and... It's, it's not, you know, it's nice, especially in this day and age, I think social media helps, you know, yeah. YouTube and all that stuff, and ECW is something, you know, people pass down their children like a family heirloom. <laughs> this is, you know, but, you know, when I was a kid, everybody was like, ah, oh, it was real wrestling with Bruno. Right. And when it was Hogan, everybody was like, ah, Bruno was real wrestling. I think people now, you know, with, you know, I mean, WWE being PG, a lot of people go, oh, here's when wrestling was real. Right. You know, and. You know, you can't deny ECW's legacy. I mean, even when they did the uh, Monday Night War series on the network, they had a section just for ECW and ECW's influence. So I got to be a part of the coolest faction in ECW and uh, one of the coolest wrestling promotions in ECW. ECW was a lot like Haley's Comet. You know, it's, it's shined bright and it shined quick. But everybody who saw it was touched by it in some way or another that they're still calling for it. You don't see people going, I want an AWA reunion. You know, everybody's like, ECW. And people think we're doing it just because we're whores and, you know, oh, look at them trying to keep, you know, keep the corpse alive. We work, we, we do these shows because we like each other. Mm. The locker room, we genuinely like each other. We genuinely want each other to do well. You know, I remember in ECW, I'd walk through the curtain and a couple of vets would pull me aside and give me pointers and stuff like that. You know, and we would all, they would give everybody pointers, and then you know, because if one did good, we all did good. 
you know, we were like a, a band of brothers. Totally. So I know I rambled on that, no, but <laughs> not at all. Now, one of my favorite BWO moments is New York City, Christmas 1996. The blue guy and Big Stevie Cool walking through Times Square, and a Santa Claus getting a super kick at the end of it. But what was that like at that point that you guys came up from Philly? You're walking around Times Square, Christmas time. Were you getting some odd looks at those BWO shirts? It was insane. Uh, I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day because. There's this video on uh, going around that's viral video. A guy made a hip hop video on three hundred ninety six dollars or something like that, rough figure like that. And they showed the making of the video and how he pulled it all together. I was like, he did that in ECW. He would just film. It's called you know in the movie business they call it running gun. You just go film the thing, leave you know to get around permits and stuff like that. But at Santa Claus wasn't a wrestler. He was just a street performer. And we were walking around filming stuff all day. And we're sitting there like, well, what should we do? We're sitting there with, you know, our hands on our head, you know. You know, we go, oh, man. Well, we got, you know, we got the ice, you know, the ice rink. We got the, this. We got this guy comes over in a Santa suit, Spanish accent, t- types of stone goes, I want to be on TV. <laughs> like, ah, dear. And the funny thing is about that Stevie kick, that was the second one he gave him. <laughs> that, was a, that was the second taker. And he did the... You know, I'm dating myself with this reference, but he did the nasty plunge right on the concrete mm-hmm. floor. Google it, YouTube it, nasty plunge. But he did the nasty plunge right on the, the concrete, and we're just like, we're selling. We're like, is he getting up? Is he getting up? He's up. And he got up. He went, Phew. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he wanted to do it. We did it, and it's fantastic. You know, WWE. You know, uh, every Christmas they put that up on their YouTube page and stuff like that. And, uh, it, it's just one of those random things. You know, Paulie says, come up to the studio. We're doing something. Okay. Where are we going? Times Square. All right. You know, it's like the time I did the Blue Dust thing. You know, he come up, so he comes up to me and Jim Thorpe. He goes, come up to the studio. You know that uh, thing they just did with the naked gold dust promo and the icy belt? We'll do that with you with Blue Dust and, and you know, almost get arrested, <laughs> you know, being naked in a the, in the public park. But, you know, it's just one of those crazy. Yeah, I was doing the, the Blue Dust pro- promo. In the park, and this is Mimi tagging me here. Uh, and you know, we're surrounded by Paulie, Raven, Stevie, Sandman, Sandman's wife, film crew, and Tyler Fullington. And you got this guy covered in blue cake icing because I forgot I forgot the paint. So me and Dreamer ran out to you know the local supermarket, got cake icing and food coloring. You know, the innovator of hardcore is covering me with blue cake icing. And we walk two blocks, blocks and the, uh, the gnats are biting me. I'm on this, like, little bridge in between the swings and the uh, sliding board, naked. Two seconds after we finished the promo, cop spotlight. You know, and I think, we, I, think I scarred the cop for life because I think he played in that playground as a kid. And he was like... I don't know what you guys are doing, but please stop. I don't want to. I don't do the paperwork on this one. So, and we're like, okay. And Sam is like, yeah, let's do one more shot. So you know that promo, New York, just improvising, and uh, that was the beauty of ECW. You could just improvise anything. You know, there no nobody really had a script. How about Blue Dust's appearance, uh, Attitude Era, around 1999, your run there that you had? What did you think uh, when you got to the big time? WWF, WWE, and the Royal Rumble, the whole nine yards. What was that initial run like for you up there? That was fantastic. Uh, 
I was, they brought me in as part of the uh, part of the uh, job squad, and then uh, they kind of started dismantling the job squad. Bob Holly went one way, Alan went the other way. I'm like, ooh, where am I going to land? So uh, they did the thing where Goldust kidnaps the head. I'm a commentary with uh, Kevin Kelly, and uh, they steal the head. I go to get it back. You know, Goldust knocks me out. So I'm Sarah. I was like, oh, this is perfect. I go up to Vince Russo. Hey man, when I was in ECW, I did a parody of Goldust called Blue Dust. When I, you know, how Goldust is always doing mind games with people. Why don't I flip the switch, become Blue Dust, play mind games with him? And Russo just stood there with a big smile. I was like, makes sense. Do you still have the gear? Yes. You know, of course, I probably should have got, you know, his, his exact gear, but I brought my ECW gear in, which was, you know, I was like, you know, the bad news bears of wrestling, you know, just whatever. And I got to have a match, match Blue Dust versus Gold Dust on St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which was insane. Now, undercard of Steve Austin in the cage with Vince McMahon. You know, where Vince, you know, takes the sickest bump on the table that refused to sell. <laughs> the table didn't want to put Vince over. But, I mean, I got to work in so many cool places. I'm, You know, uh, Wade Keller from the Porous and Torch calls me the Forrest Gump of wrestling because, like, I would just rattle. I was, oh, I was here when that happened, that when that, you know, this happened. I was in ECW for its hottest period. I was in WWE for the Attitude Era. You know, I was on first ECW pay per view and this, that, and the other thing. And got to do a WrestleMania in my hometown and in front of my, in front of my friends and stuff like that. So uh, it's very blessed, man. I, I don't use that word often. People are like, oh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, and it's over something like simple, but like the stars aligned right. You know, it's just. Like, I'm here with Bill After talking about his book, and uh, it, it just reminded me. And he, he has a chapter in there about how I met him when I was a 15-year-old kid. I won't get to give it all away, but I saw Bill in the mall as a kid, and I knew he told me where it was going to be. I knew exactly where it was going to be. I went, you know what, let me go find out. I knew exactly where it was. I was like, let me go find him again. And I found him again, and that whole day I became his photo assistant. You know, it's in the wow. book. I don't want to give it away, but, you know, uh, just, you know, there are certain moments in your life when a light bulb goes off and you got, okay, I got to do this thing. Like I was walking, I was working in casinos with my mom, and we're going to the, the work one night, and we're, I know exact same, I know the exact corner I'm standing on where I go, yeah, I'm quitting my job tonight. I'm going to wrestling school in two weeks. Because I had already saved up all my money. I paid for my tuition. I saved enough nest egg to live so I could just train all day. So I really, the only thing I was waiting on was me. I went, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my two weeks tonight. And, and two weeks later, I was, you know, the day after WrestleMania 10, I'm driving to Lima, Ohio to train with Al Snow. So it's just about instincts, creating opportunities, and uh, it's right place, right time. Just gut feelings, you know. And uh, that's, you know, the, the basis of my career, really, just instinct, you know, and just, you know, just not being an a-hole, <laughs> you know. What's it like now? Because obviously you said 20 years later, BWO is still big, but they brought you in and you're hosting shows for DVDs, you're on the network. What's it like that, you know, they're bringing you back and you're so a part of WWE now? Again, that goes back to creating opportunities. Uh, I knew WWE was coming to town for SmackDown, you know, October last year. It's almost a year to the date. And uh, I was like, you know what, let me stop by. I haven't been backstage in 10 years. You know, it wasn't, I got friends who still work there. Um, you know, I, I did the right thing. I said, hey, you know, 
can I stop by? I got permission. Stop by, and, you know, I saw JBL. You know, even though, you know, we had our beef back in the day. We're cool now. We're good. And then he included me on his web show. Hmm. And I know I was talking to one of the producers. I said, hey, you guys got the network. You're always doing countdown shows. If you need somebody to talk about ECW, ta-da. Yeah. You know, I give him my card. I have a social, this social media card that's on my table, my Facebook, Twitter, everything. I have a business card for the Monster Factory where I'm a trainer right now. Said, if you ever need it, here you go. Two o'clock the next afternoon, they called me. Hey, we're doing the CCW DVD. Creating opportunities. Just wow, yeah. And just being subtle about it. Don't be overbearing. You know, be aggressive but not annoying. You know, to where people are like, oh, I gotta get away from this guy. You know, just, yep. just you know, hey, be like, hey, if you can do it, that's cool. If not, I totally understand. And that's how you know I approached everything. You know, and you know, I don't want to be that guy that nobody wants to be around. Growing up, I, you know, I had people in my family that everybody loved to be around, and I studied them there because they were always funny and witty, the life of the party, and, you know, that's why you know, I tried to be, you know, and it's got me, you know, along this far, and 20 years later, I'm hosting the, you know, the uh, WWE, I'm ho- hosting ECW on release volume three, uh, I got my first action figure coming in uh, through uh, Figures Toy Company, uh, which I never had one in ECW or WWE, which is always killed me a little bit inside you know everybody had actors i never had one so uh that's happening uh you know i gotta you know coming up to wrestlecade and i'm uh, doing all these cool shows and stuff like that and you know being the coach at the monster factory is another great thing because not only am i you know uh it's keeping me mentally sharp but i'm helping the future generation you know learn from not only what from what i did right but you know the things I did wrong. You know, I did plenty of wrong. You know, and if I can, you know, give people a little heads up, don't do that, or maybe try this. You know, we have five coaches. It's me, Danny Cage, uh, QT Marshall, Bill Wiles from ECW, and Luis Martinez. And uh, we're a five. No, pardon the pun. We're a five-headed monster and different ideas, different styles. We're like a, you know, a little bit like a Chex mix, a little hodgepodge of different. Things and we're doing good. We have one kid in NXT right now, Steve Cutler. Uh, one of our kids, Nick Camarano, was just flown down for a tryout, and uh, we're training Matt Riddle, who was in the UFC. Yep. He's doing fantastic. He's he's going to start working for Evolve, and uh, got a lot of good things going on. You know, you know, just staying busy, man. Just got to find opportunities and get your foot in the door and just keep it there. Way to be. <laughs> No, it's good. We're going to wrap up, and I uh, just want to thank the Blue Meanie for coming on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And if you could leave us with some parting words on the legacy of the Blue Meanie, what would it be? Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Bill Hicks, and he, you know, he said, you know, I came in love, laughter, and I like to think, uh, you know, wherever you go, uh, you hear laughter, I'll be there. That's his motto. I, I know I'm butchering it, but uh, you know, this is off the top of my head. But you know, I, I came. I wrestled, I made you laugh, and uh, hopefully I uh, entertained you. You know, That's all I want to do is entertain. So, and, uh, thanks for having me on the show and giving me the opportunity to you know, further entertain you know, the listeners. So, thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much.